This is the Otaku Nate Show, episode 27, Requiem from the Darkness, Pain of the Damned. Anime fans, Otaku Nate here with another installment of the Otaku Nate Show, the anime podcast where we talk about anime that we want to talk about. Joining me this week is William, aka Lord Crab. Hello. And Xavier. How's it going, guys? And new to the show this time around. Hey, how's it going? Uh, you can just call me Nono, and I'm here to talk about this uh, cool anime. And that cool anime that we are talking about is a little bit of a late Halloween present for you all, as we are going to talk about Requiem from the Darkness, released in 2003 by Tokyo Movie Shinsha, a studio which I don't think gets the love it deserves. People tend to underrate TMS a lot, in my humble opinion. Yeah, because they actually have a lot of really good shows that they've worked on over the years. Off the top of my head, I believe they've done the the, the Case Closed series. They are responsible for everything Case Closed and everything Lupin. That's got to be their bread and butter. Yep, and um, I know that they also did Dr. Stone, too. First thing I ever reviewed on the show. Yeah, how about that? It, it all comes uh, full circle here, I guess. And this is going to be another one of their overlooked gems, at least in my eyes. That is 2003's Requiem from the Darkness, or as it is known in Japan, Kotetsu Hyaku Monogatari, or Hundred Stories. And we'll talk about that title once we get to the uh, primetime discussion. The series is based on a novel by the same name, The Hundred Stories, by award-winning author Natsuhiko Kyogoku. If that name sounds familiar, they actually named a character in the series Bungo Stray Dogs after the book's author. The series was directed by Hideki Tonokatsu, perhaps most famous for directing Tekaman Blade 2 and the OAV that went with it, Hyperspeed Grandal, the Loop on the Third specials The Alcatraz Connection and Missed by a Dollar, and he is co-director of Helsing Ultimate. There are four writers on the show, two of whom I could find no info about, the other two being Sadayuki Marai of Natsume's Book of Friends and Boogie Pop Phantom fame, uh, that's the original Boogie Pop series, not the new one that came out in 2019, and Hiroshi Takahashi, a man who wrote the screenplay for a little series of films, you might have heard of them, called The Ring. Oh, I'm just looking that up right now on ANN. Uh, the Ring. That was like one of my earlier horror movies I saw. 
was pretty impressive, to be honest. I thought that the ring was probably written by a studio. I didn't realize it was written by one guy. Well, I should point out that he merely wrote the screenplay for those movies. He's not the original creator. Ah, uh, okay. It's also worth noting that um, that Takahashi only wrote the script for the last two episodes of Requiem from the Darkness. That well, is true. Yeah, those are some pretty good episodes. So now that we've got the technical information out of the way, what's the show about? It's about um, this young author, Momosuke Yamaoka, who who regularly writes, you know, riddles for children, like stuff like that. But he wants to do stories on like you know, more gruesome, more darker, more horror-themed type stuff. And he would look into, like, rumors um, about weird situations, about local legends. And do and during so, he would often come across these three people. Um, what were they called again? Uh, the the Mataichi Trio. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they were basically, like, these supernatural detectives that would... Um, what was it, right? Um, they would, they would investigate. Oh, excuse me. What was that? Exercising. Yeah, they were, they were, they were basically like exorcists, uh, that they would look into like these, these urban legends and rumors and no, they would like, they would like piece apart, like what actually happened, uh, behind all this. And they would expose, uh, the perpetrators that way. So with all that information out of the way, did you guys know of Requiem from the Darkness prior to coming on this show? I first saw Requiem from the Darkness way, 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 way back in high school. I'm going to say probably somewhere between 2005 and 2007. Uh... I decided to check it out on a whim, and back then, I've only saw the first five episodes, and I didn't get around to watching the show again until this very episode. I was originally impressed at how really creepy and trippy the show was. So, yeah, that's about my, uh, that was my initial introduction to the show. Killer. Uh, I had never heard of it, and, uh, I sat down and I watched the first couple of episodes, and especially with the first episode, I really was thought, oh, man, this is kind of goofy, but with some extreme uh, animation, there's some real Sakaga moments, uh, but I thought, yeah, I don't know about this, but as it kept going on, I thought, wow, how have I not heard about this? Yeah, uh, I didn't hear about it until you told me about it to, for this podcast. Um, my first thoughts is that, it, like, the gore kind of reminded me of Barefoot Gen, and I wondered if, like, the same team worked on it. But yeah, that was my first initial thought, and I thought the premise was interesting, and maybe it would keep me around. I first heard of Requiem from the Darkness, I think I saw ads for it in either Anime Insider or New Type USA, uh, Anime World Order did a review of it as well. I always was curious about it, and then one day, during a visit to the Palisades Mall up in West Nyack, New York, the largest mall that is within driving distance of me prior to that monstrosity called the American Dream was erected, the mall's FYE was going out of business, and you know what that means? Cheap, Cheap. anime DVDs. 
and it just so happens that they had all four discs of Requiem from the Darkness on sale, and I snapped them up. Among those discs included the Special Edition Art Box DVD, which is a product of what I call the bubble period of anime, and um, I want to just talk about that for a second. I'll, I'll for those who don't know, back in the early days of what I call the bubble period of anime, anime companies would sell you these large chipboard boxes that had only one DVD in them in the hopes that you would buy the rest. They'd often come with all kinds of trinkets or souvenirs. Sometimes they'd have nothing at all. Requiem from the Darkness was a little different in that rather than coming in a big chunky art box, it came in a slip case, and I'm holding it right here, and the DVD case within it, rather than being home to all the discs, all the discs would be held in like this sort of little book-style case, sort of fitting within the show itself. I don't remember any other anime releases from around this time period doing that, and I'm kind of thankful that I bought it, because Requiem from the Darkness to me is a pretty damn good show, but... We'll probably have differing opinions about what we feel about the show, but for now, let us focus on the animation. And I'm going to start by saying, wow, this show looks excellent for its time. I am very mixed about the animation. I was going to say, I actually agree with that totally. I thought parts of it looked amazing, and then... Some shots were actually so flat, it was like, was this made by the same person? I was gonna say, like, at first the animation looked really sweet. A lot of good Sakuga moments, but then I got up to, like, episode 9, and there's, like, CG crowds, and it looks really, really bad. I'm like, oh god, did they run out of money? Holy smokes. That's partly my issue with the animation. At the best of times, this the show is very atmospheric and really surreal. But at the worst of times, it is some of the most jank animation for its time. And the CG, I'll just say, I've seen better looking. It reminds me of a PS2 game. I think that what was interesting to me was the fact that the main character was one of the most under-animated things in the entire show. You know, you would have characters with these really serious faces and expressions and panning shots. And, you know, they really liked using the fisheye effect on the camera work. And, you know, when they were having conversations, they liked to have a, a dynamic camera. But then it would just cut to the main character and he would just look like he was drawn on a different sheet entirely. It's it so bizarre. Yeah, when you compare Momosuke to, like, every other character in Requiem from the Darkness, he's the blandest, and I get it, he's the main character, you know, like, the audience, like, self-insert, but there are times where he kind of does stand out a little, and not for the right reasons. Yeah, the one other thing I wanted to say about the animation, that I guess two, very brief. The one is, this is kind of dumb, because... There's so many great Sakuga scenes in some of the episodes. If they really drew something nice, they will show it to you over and over again. That's awesome. But my favorite animated scene is just because there was absolutely no reason for it to be there. In episode 6 or 7, he's checked into his hotel room, and the uh, Obasan who checked him in, the little gremlin, 
when she closes the door, for no reason, she just laughs and does a backflip. Not even a second long, and I laughed because I just thought, why did they even put that in there? That was my wait, favorite part. Wait, seriously? I completely, well, seriously. For I completely forgot about that scene. Yeah, it's, it's so unimportant. It's just, here, welcome to your room. Closes the door, laughs, does a backflip, runs down the hallway. And I just lost it. <laughs> uh, I'm absolutely certain this was in the book. I mean, I didn't try to think too hard about why they might have had that in there, but it just made no sense to me. And the one other thing that I wanted to point out about the backgrounds, especially in the, uh, the design in the show, was that this looks like uh, the studio wanted to make it as creepy as possible. They watched Dr. Caligari's, uh, you know, film, The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, and they were just like, you know what? Um, expressionism. We need to make all of our buildings tall, exaggerated. Nothing has straight lines, and it works. Uh, no. A lot of the buildings just look totally creepy. It's great. Yeah, I could totally see uh, the resemblance. Like, I could totally get, like, German expressionism in some of the designs, more so, like, the backgrounds in the show, because they are just weird as shit. And I guess it just adds to, like, the whole surreal thing. Oh, yeah. Atmospherically, the show has a lot of great uh, high moments, for sure. But, yeah, what was your guys' favorite? Well, because... Be honest. The uh, when it comes to the animation, the episodes usually start out with a brutal murder, and then later on they reveal the brutal murder. And you know, each one has their own moment, which is really big in Sakuga. And what was your favorite moment of Pure Sakuga? For me, it was the eyeballs in episode seven, uh, the floating head, the uh, floating head episode. Honestly, the only ones that um, that stand out are the parts whenever Madaichi starts his exorcism. I just think that's like, some of the best animation in the show. I think it was episode five, the dude would, like, cut people in half. Like, whenever that happened, it looked really nice. A smooth animation. Oh, yeah, I think that's it. By the way, I think that's one of the best episodes. That Salty Choji? Salty Choji. That one was nuts. I thought it was going to go so many places, but... Yeah. <laughs> I guess I should chime in and give my thoughts because I have said that that period from 1998 to around 2002, that's one of the roughest periods for animation in anime because you have that transition away from cell animation over to digipaint and some of that digipaint stuff looks... Ugh. Jank. Really jank. To anyone who talks about how the old cell animation from the 70s onward is passable but dated, I say no. There is a fine line between something that is vintage and something that is dated. Something that is vintage can hold up to modern scrutiny. Even with different techniques and different talents, something can still look good when animated traditionally. A lot of that early digital animated stuff is so dated. I didn't really notice the CG as much because um, I think I watched this. I say watched uh, about twice because I would uh, I, I sat down and watched the whole thing, but I also listened to it when I was at work. And um, for me, I, I guess I didn't focus as much on CG wasn't that jarring to me. 
I didn't mind the CG, because it's mostly used for, like, the backgrounds. Most notably in the opening, when it does that little camera swoop through the town. Like, doing CG for the environments, and yes, there are CGI crowds in there. I didn't mind it too much, especially when you compare it to some other shows that utilize CG at the time, like Pilot Candidate or Divergence Eve. Can't say I've seen those, but when it comes to bad CG, we all know what the benchmark is. <laughs> that terrible, terrible Berserk anime that came out a decade more more after this. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we thought that would be the um, the pinnacle of bad CG, but then X-Arm happened. Oh, no, no, oh, no. Man. I think the one thing I enjoy the most about Requiem from the Darkness that I don't think we've really talked about, I love its use of color. Oh, yeah, the coloring in the show is really good. A lot of early Digipaint anime have a very washed out or sort of tasteless color palette. Like, they're just trying to throw colors at the wall to see what works and what doesn't. Requiem from the Darkness gets around by this by using a deliberately washed out color palette for its environments, for its characters... And at times it does the Yoshiaki Kawajiri trick of having one color dominate a scene to set the mood. Example? There are certain scenes between Momosuke and the Mataichi trio where the only dominant color is very shades of blue or very shades of red. For the beginning of episode 3 where we see Momosuke drowning, that's all blue. I also like the design work they do for some of the background characters or some of the extras. Yeah, definitely. The uh, uh, I don't know what you guys thought about this. It, it reminded me of something that I can't put my thumb on, but some of the unimportant characters, you just automatically know they're unimportant because, well, that guy's head is shaped like a bucket for some reason. I love the designs of the gentries with their heads basically being blocks of wood. That's pretty good, yeah. I don't know if this would be like um, a good comparison, but for me, the some of, uh, some of the background designs for the characters reminded me of Gegege no Kitaro. It is a good comparison, given that this is very much keeping within the spirit of Gegege no Kitaro, and that some of the staff also worked on some of the older entries for one of the longest-running franchises in Japan. I mean, thinking about it now, the char like some of the background characters look like yokai. And this is a show about yokai. Well, in and certain that, episodes. That, that was the interesting thing I thought, too, was that it was kind of unclear sometimes who were and were not yokai. For example, his landlord. And things like six inches tall. I mean, does anybody else notice that? Nobody points it out. It's, what, what is up with it? Just to correct you, that was his publisher, not his landlord. Oh, yeah. Animation in general. Like, when it's good, it's really noticeable. Uh, that's why, it, like, the gore, especially, which is, like, hallmark for any horror show. And, like, that's usually, that seems like the show's, like, bread and butter when it comes to animation. Everything else is kind of standard, or at worst, you get, like, bad CG crowds. But I guess for the time it was passable, I'd say their animation is I, I guess extraordinary. He... The, the one thing about the gore in particular was a lot of the time in anime movies, uh, whatever, they will go right up to the point of impact and cut away and they'll have a sound or implication. But in this show, 
they go right up to the point of impact and then they hold on it. They show you exactly what happened. And I just thought that was terribly impressive. There are some really good, disturbing gore moments in this show. The just, eyes. There's some good plain... Di- well, okay, maybe not so good, but mainly just plain disturbing moments. The eye gore is off the chart in this anime. They love oh, the melting eye in, I think, uh, episode 11. That, oh, that, that made me squirm. I particularly like the episode with the dancing heads. Oh, that one was really disturbing. Oh, fuck. Well, my Wait, favorite, actually. Was that episode four? Yes, it was. Yes. Oh, fuck that episode. That made me cringe so hard. Uh, I like that episode. Oh, yeah, no, it made me feel something beyond, yeah. like, most of the other episodes. Uh, to, any, to any listeners, I won't... I don't think any of us will say what goes down explicitly, but let's just say... Incest is not Wincest. <laughs> she was nuts. Does anybody have anything else to add before we move over to the sound department? Hey, when would be a good time to talk about video qu- quality? I guess now would be a good time to talk about the video quality. Alright. Because you told me that this was available on YouTube, and I thought, oh, cool. So I, what you didn't tell me was that the highest like resolution was... 480p. My dumbass was booting up my PS4, and I was like, wow, this looks bad. So for the rest of it, I just ended up watching it on my phone, because, like, wow. These are basically ripped right from the old Jenny on DVDs. Alright, yeah, that would explain it. Yeah, so naturally they're not gonna turn out so well. This is true of a lot of early Digipaint shows. More uh, character design, but I was trying to figure out exactly what the main character's, uh, was kept reminding me of something like a weird version of Captain Harlock, but do you got have you ever seen Irresponsible Captain Tyler? I know the design. Yeah, the, yeah, the design for some reason that familiar. Yeah, for some reason the whole time I was watching the show, occasionally I would just think about the character as Tyler and it's like, oh wait, no, that's Mamoske, but And I think we can transition over to the sound department so what'd you guys think of the soundtrack because i enjoyed it it's really damn good it was the first time i heard it it was kind of a you put your glasses on reserve moments and i was like i don't know about this but as i kept watching it oh yeah i i downloaded the op and uh my favorite track you probably wouldn't guess what it is but there's some real bangers in there you really just got to appreciate the fact that um you have this show that takes place during like edo period japan and the opening and endings are both jazz songs and yet they work really well that's uh that's exactly what threw me off at first but you know then uh after about three episodes or so because you know i'm watching the thing i'm not gonna uh skip the intro i started to you know look forward to hearing it you know, now that we're talking about the soundtrack, it finally hit me why the show kind of reminded me so much of Samurai Shampoo because of like the soundtrack. Like, like you have this show that's set in the past Edo period, but now this, but the soundtrack is more modern, jazzy. There was definitely, I was thinking of Shampoo at various points, 
I think mostly because of the setting, Edo, Ido, Edo, Edo. But the thing that really uh, struck with me was the shamisen music they would use a lot of the time, especially when explaining things, giving exposition. I thought that was uh, really fantastic. But um, when it comes to not the opening or the ending, did you have a particularly uh, favorite piece of music they played? I really enjoy the theme of the Mataichi trio when they strike. It's very low-key, very understated, but it also has that ominous sound to it. When you first hear that bass line and the small cymbal sting, you know something bad's about to happen. I think for me, the best track, which you're not going to believe this, maybe you didn't notice it, but the two old hermit women, the two Obasan, when they came on, they had this really uh, hitched up, building. It was uh, like witch music, like swamp music. Like It sounded like it came from uh, Majora's Mask or uh, Legend of Zelda. I don't know what exactly to call that type of music, but it was great. It's really good. They only played it about two or three times. I do want to say, though, to go back to a point you made earlier, Requiem from the Darkness has one of my absolute favorite openings of the decade. Yeah, the opening is a total bop. I have never heard of Keiko Lee until now. This is making me want to check out the rest of her uh, catalog. For sure. Like the rest of the soundtrack, and by the way, the soundtrack was composed by Kuniaki Haishima. He did the music for Blue Gender. For all you Toku fans, he did music for Kamen Rider Kabuto and Kamen Rider Amazons. But he did the score to not one, but... Two Naoki Urusawa anime. He did the score for Master Keaton and the score for Monster. Yeah. Wow. And just in looking at his um, the shows, he's done so little, which is really surprising because he did. I mean, he he did a really good job um, with Requiem from the Darkness for one thing. We also got some really good stuff here that he worked on. Well. Nate did mention Blue Gender and Monster. He also did Spriggan, Dakota, and even composed for Metroid Other M. Yeah, I noticed that too. It was kind of a departure from form for him, but uh, I was I was fairly impressed by the variety. He did a lot of live action TV as well. And the opening to me is, and the ending is just the cherry on the top. It's all in. English as well, very fluent English, I may add, and I feel oftentimes most quote-unquote horror anime kind of miss the mark when setting the tone. Like the two shows I want to mention, Shiki and Another. Both good shows, although Shiki I like more than Another, but both of their openings are these very upbeat pop and or rock songs, and they really don't fit the mood of the kind of show they're trying to be. Requiem from the Darkness gets it absolutely right. It lulls you. It seduces you. It brings you in perfectly, and the visuals that go with it are gorgeous. That panning shot of Momosuke standing as the various sutra charms fly around him, striking. And you don't seem to understand. <laughs> you, you were actually uh, talking to me beforehand about, isn't there a slightly different version of it or the full version of it on Spotify? Yes, the version that you will hear in the TV series for the ending song, The Moment of Love, 
is different from the full version. The TV version you hear sounds like it was a demo or a quicker recording, as opposed to most other cases where it's just the full-length song chopped down to fit the TV size. And it's not the only time this has happened. Uh, one example I can name, Legend of the Galactic Heroes, its full-length openings and endings sound different than the TV sizes for some of them. And as far as sound goes in general, I don't know if we should talk about the voice acting now or later, but there was actually one thing that I thought was kind of interesting about this dub was that, um, yeah, there were some lines that, you know, they tried to save force that, in. Save that thought. Save that thought. Oh, okay. Okay. Sorry. I guess that's a good okay. transition into the voice acting. And because we only have a few say you to go through, this should be quick. Our main hero, Momosuke, is voiced by Toshihiko Seki. Most new anime fans will know him as Muzan Kibutsuji in Demon Slayer, Alistair Crowley in the Index series, Wing in the 2011 version of Hunter x Hunter, and Musashi Goda in Mob Psycho. Veteran fans will know him as Genjo Sanzo in Sayuki, Duel Maxwell in Gundam Wing, Raul Crusette and Reza Burl in Gundam Seed and Seed Destiny, and Legato Blues in Trigon. Mataichi is voiced by Ryusei Nakao. This is actually pretty timely because right now he is currently reprising his role as Mayuri Kurotsuchi in Bleach. His most famous role, though, is Frieza in Dragon Ball Z. He is Tanji Washio in Haikyuu, Isami Nishimura in Touch, and Caesar Clown in One Piece. Ogin, the puppeteer, is voiced by Sanai Kobayashi. She is Rinko Kojiro in Sword Art Online Alicization, Reiko Natsumi in Natsume's Book of Friends, Namie Yagiri in Durarara, Pai in the Dot Hack series, Catherine Glass in Macross Frontier, Lucy and Nyu in Elfin Lead, a role that's close to my heart, Akira in Maihime and My Otome, and Gemini Sunrise in Sakura Wars. And rounding out the Mataichi trio, we've got Norio friggin' Wakamoto as Nagamimi the Bird Caller, a man who has had quite an illustrious career. You'll know his roles by heart. Cell in Dragon Ball Z, Emperor Britannia in Code Geass, Father Anderson in Helsing Ultimate, Vicious in Cowboy Bebop, Oscar von Royenthal in Legend of the Galactic Heroes, Xemnas in Kingdom Hearts, and I think the one role everybody knows him for, if only because of its meme status, he's Chio's dad in Azumanga Daio. His best role. And I really wish we had been able to watch the version with those voice actors. One other cast member I want to talk about briefly... The Black and White Hermits were both voiced by Masako Nozawa. And I'm sure you all know who she's famous for playing. Yep, Goku. I think at this point, everybody knows that she's the voice of Goku in Dragon Ball Z. But beyond that, she was the first voice of Kitaro in Gegege no Kitaro. She was Tetsuro in the Galaxy Express 3.9 series. Guilemon in Digimon, I hope I said that right. Dr. Kureha in One Piece, and Obaba in Ping Pong the Animation. One last little voice of note, 
Natsuhiko Kyogoku himself is in this series. He plays the Mataichi Trio's boss, Kyogokute. I always like it when creators and or directors play themselves or a character of sorts in a series. My favorite example of this is when Yasutaka Tsutsui and Satoshi Kon played the duo of bartenders in Paprika. Oh, I didn't even know Satoshi Kon had a, had a voice credit. That's awesome. I didn't know that either. So, Yeah, that's really cool. You learn something new every day. Yeah, it's always fun when creators get to voice in their own shows. So that brings us to the dub, and I think we're probably going to have some conflicting feelings here, because this was an early 2000s dub done by Media Concepts. It was directed by longtime stalwart voice actor Steve Kramer. What'd you think of this dub? Because I thought it was pretty good for its time. Just like the animation itself, I'm mixed. Like... Occasionally, it's pretty good, but a lot of the times, it's really, really awkward. It was all over the place, but in fact, some of the stuff that was so bland brought me much enjoyment, and uh, I would say that the Mataichi stole the show uh, as far as his voice actor in the dub. He that was fantastic, and uh, you know, the first couple of episodes, I actually laughed with almost the first line of dialogue that Momosuke said, because there's something about Oh, I'm going to fall off this cliff. And I just, I thought the character was going to be a goofball from then on. And he really came into it more as it went on. But um, when it comes to the, the dub in particular, um, there were some weird decisions that were just left in. You think they would have reshot them, but I think in episode two or three, random line by an old woman when they're talking about the, the fellow whose wives keep dying. And in the middle of her sentence, it's a noticeable cut. They just cut, and she says it in a completely different way. And I just thought, what was that? Like, they, they ADR'd it so hard. They didn't even try with that one. But I, I enjoyed the voice acting. Yeah, uh, I only saw the dub, so that's all I have to go on. But even I can tell it, it was rough. Also, a side note on that. I went to look up the cast on Wikipedia, and only Momonosuke's actor is, like, credited for some reason. This is one of those cases where the English credits are at the very end of the DVD, or rather, the voice credits. Momosuke is played by Grant George, and I believe this was one of his first ever leading roles. Does anyone have a specific favorite line delivery? I don't know, but I side with you, Nono. I absolutely love the voice for Mataichi. Mataichi in the English dub is voiced by longtime veteran from the old days of Streamline Pictures, Steve Kramer. And he absolutely nails the voice that Mataichi has. I actually prefer it to the Japanese side. Nothing against Ryusei Nakao, but at points... He kind of sounds like Shuichi Ikeda, that's the Japanese voice of Shar Aznable, but he plays this very gravelly, very otherworldly sounding sort of voice, which is very fitting for the character. Yeah, the um, Ogin as well, but Mataichi, you know, you listen to him so much because he has, I'd say, the most dialogue in the Mataichi trio, thus names. But, you know, the way he talks, very gravelly, in this world. And uh, I thought that Ogin's voice actress in the dub also did an excellent job. She just had less to say. 
That's Karen Strassman, also another great voice actress. And, you know, since we're talking about the Mataichi trio, my favorite actor of the three, Nagamimi is voiced by Michael McConaughey, who is, again, one of those voice actors I will always say is never not good. Wait, are you you joking? No, I'm not joking. Michael McConaughey plays Nagamimi, and he's great. Especially when you consider that... He has to use several different voices, given that Nagamimi is a shapeshifter. You, you actually had me going there for a second, because I heard McConaughey, but Michael McConaughey, for a second there, I, I thought you meant the other McConaughey, and I thought, there's no way. I said McConaughey. Yes, uh, I got that backwards, but that was very funny for a moment, the idea of, all right, all right, all right, being Nagamimi, that, that would have been hilarious. Honestly, I would rather have Michael McConaughey than Matthew McConaughey. Uh, Nagamimi did a good job. I just thought he is uh, definitely the strangest of the trio for me. I do agree with you, though, that Grant George as Momosuke can be a little... I don't want to say overbearing, but it feels like he never really finds that happy medium. There's another forgotten anime that came out around the same time from the 2000s called Planetess. And the lead in that role was played by Julianne Taylor. She suffered a similar problem in that at times her performance could be a little bit too much. I don't know if it was just a direction issue or if this was just a really like just a really early uh, time in Grant's voice acting career. But I just did not like him as Mimosuke. A lot of the time it just sounded like he wasn't really acting or like his tone did not exactly match the scene of what was going on totally uh the first episode the aradzuki beans when he was yelling about almost everything it just uh i was like what is this show and i'd say he actually maybe he just got better at the character as time went on as they were recording but when he's just talking normally and he's not excited or yelling i actually thought he did a great job and my favorite line uh in the show entirely um, I think it's not an important line, but it's when he finally meets Kyoga Kute and Kyoga is talking to him about some of the things that have happened and he just says, huh, really? I just kind of did what I was told. I laughed out loud. I busted again. Yeah, that's, that's where most of my issues with the dub or more so Grant's performance as Momosuke comes from. It's just that... Um... It's just that the way that he delivers his lines, at times, it will just take you right out of the show. I think because the show is also so inherently Japanese, there's some line translations that'll come off as being a bit awkward compared to if you were to just watch it in Japanese with the subtitles. Unfortunately, the dub is your only option. I don't mind it, but I feel like with the our mixed reactions, some people won't like it. I mean, it doesn't go full ghost stories, thank God. It's funny, the, the ghost stories doesn't go full ghost stories, but there was one other line where it was clear that they were just trying to get the character's point across, but they had a very little amount of time to do it. And a random guard character delivers a line, something like, uh, if you do that now, I will strike you down exactly where you stand. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was great. Right because of the bring up the ghost stories, Dev, because while watching this, I was like, man, this should... Now I see all those people who complain that the ghost stories, Dev, is bad. This, this show is basically like that. 
if if ghost stories had a faithful adaptation and it, it i don't know it didn't help keep me invested that's for sure do we have anything else to add about the 80 voice acting um i would also just like to add that karen strassman was one of the better performances in the dub oh yeah she she's fit, always great i mean in general yes she is but as Ogin, she's one of the best performances in in the whole dub the uh the little boss uh, is publisher a few times he did show up i think it was the same voice actor as another character but i also thought that was good that's neil kaplan listening to nagamimi made me think of the hunter hunter narrator all the time yeah because michael did the narration for hunter hunter yeah so, so that's one? all i could think about whenever this character was speaking the 90s uh hunter hunter michael kaplan did that oh no there was uh, the it was the 2011 one and with that, let's move on to the show itself. And I have said to people in private that I feel Requiem from the Darkness is the ideal anime to watch on Halloween. Because usually whenever people ask for anime to watch on Halloween, your common suggestions are going to be things like Helsing, Vampire Hunter D, or God Help You, Elfin Lead. Oh, no. Stuff that, well, let's be frank, I don't consider to be horror. Helsing and Vampire Hunter D, while they have horror elements to them, they're mostly action series. You don't really get too many pure horror suggestions. But to me, I put Requiem from the Darkness at number one. And my reasoning for it is simply, it is all the hallmarks of a good horror show. Great atmosphere, excellent art direction, a good use of Japanese mythology, some excellent gory moments, and incredible foreshadowing. It is a lot in common with sort of pulp horror in that it tells the story of a killer who is ultimately done in by those who wish vengeance upon those who have sinned. And that's where the Mataichi trio comes in. But that's just my two cents. Would you agree with me about Requiem from the Darkness sort of being the ideal horror anime or not? I mean, it's it definitely captures its horror aspect much better than, you know, some of the shows you mentioned, like, you know, like Helsing, Vampire Hunter D, and Elfin League, because, well, the thing about those shows, well, Helsing and Vampire Hunter D are more so action shows with horror that are... They, f they focus more on action than they do on horror. It's more like an aesthetic thing. But with Requiem from the Darkness, the horror is front and center at all times, both in its mood, its presentation, and its storytelling. Do you consider Requiem from the Darkness to be the ideal sort of horror anime? Yeah, I believe it qualifies as a horror anime uh, in the sense that like ghost stories or Junji Ito. Uh, it has both of those vibes, episodic tales of ghosts and ghouls and all that stuff. I, I could see someone, like, putting this on during spook month. Oh, the, uh, Requiem from the Darkness, I actually did watch it on Halloween, uh, with my girlfriends, and we enjoyed, um, we didn't watch the whole thing, but it was great, and, um, I'd say it's a perfect anime for October, because uh, with the 100 stories tradition, you're supposed to tell one spooky story or so a day, or 
don't remember exactly how it goes, but if you watch one episode a day, that's that's pretty good. And speaking of Requiem, um, that was the other anime that we watched was uh, by Satoshi Kon, Requiem, which, you know, I would say that's probably the perfect Halloween anime if it weren't for the other two parts. The first part of Requiem, that's basically the perfect spooky story. Do you mean memories? Yes. <laughs> I'm, excuse me. I do want to use this opportunity, though, since you mentioned the tradition of a hundred stories, is that the original Japanese name hundred stories comes from the Japanese tradition simply known as, well, the hundred stories. From what I understand, the hundred stories entails a group of people coming together lighting 100 candles in an attempt to try and tell 100 different ghost stories. With each story they tell, they have to blow out a candle. And supposedly, the more ghost stories they tell, the more likely they are to attract spirits. Supposedly, nobody has been able to tell the 100 stories because people have been freaked out by candles suddenly going out on their own, sudden drafts of cold air objects shaking without anybody touching them. And I think Requiem from the Darkness encapsulates that feeling of each episode being a ghost story. It sticks to its guns on its horror narratives, and it doesn't really stray from there. There's no unintentional comedy like in Another, and it doesn't really have any fan service that ruins the mood like High School of the Dead, although... There is plenty of fan service regarding Ogeen, but it's not distracting. I was slightly distracted. But um don't Uh yeah, fan service wise, I guess if this show came out nowadays, Ogeen would be referred to as the waifu of the show. <laughs> well, they certainly try to make her the face of the show, considering that one of the first things you see in the opening is her partially naked body. And the end credits is just her buck naked from start to finish. So you get to see plenty of shots of dat ass she's got. <laughs> uh. The designer for this show had a field day with Ogeen because she got plenty of junk in the trunk and in the hood. And in her own life, you know, uh, skeletons in the closet, so to speak. Yeah, Ogeen has quite the backstory, and I'm actually glad that we get some substance to her character, because unlike Mataichi or Nagamimi, Ogeen has the most complex backstory, and it's nice that the show decided not to treat her as just eye candy, that she is a character in and of herself. Okay, that actually leads into another issue I have. I mean, it's great that um, we got an episode centered on Ogeen, and it fleshes her out and shit, that's good and all, but we don't know anything about Nagamimi, nor um, nor what's Mataichi. his Mataichi. Yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, no. Like in one episode, we get like Momosuke talking about Nagamimi. Like he was like part of the theater. He probably died like two hundred years ago, and that's it. Uh, Mataichi gets nothing. I get the feeling that unlike the other members, Mataichi and Nagamimi have enough to them where we don't need to know every single thing. I think Ogeen deserved to have most of her backstory revealed compared to the other two. But in that case, why not give the other two, like, a backstory? Or at least give us an idea of what they, what's more to them as characters. 
I don't know. I mean, I think this is a nice little bit of a show-don't-tell thing. Like, we know that Nagamimi was a kabuki actor. I do think that we could have used some episodes to explain their backstory, but not too much. I think it's probably because it's easier to tell stories about women with tragic backstories than men. I know that's probably not going to be a very popular statement. The, uh, when it came to Naga Mimi's character, I mean, yeah, they had the information about him in the, uh, in the circus or performing at the theater, but I think that probably his most influential episode was the first episode, which, not to diverge too hard, but there was a little bit of Kurosawa in that episode, you know, I, I actually kind of thought that they, they borrowed heavily from a certain film, you know. Rash. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see the Rashomon influence. Feels like Nagamimi is just like a half the time. Feels like he's just a character that's there. Like I remember some people talk about when there's like groups of characters. The best character dynamics are ones where you could put the main character with any individual, and it would work. I don't know. It just it feels like Nagamimi can't be his own character without the others around. And what it does, it just feels like, oh yeah, that's right, he, he exists. Which is a real shame, because I really liked Nagamimi. I did too. But that's also, we gotta talk about Mataichi as well, the leader of the trio. And I adore him. He has such great presence, both when he speaks and when he's merely on screen. He's clearly the brains of that operation. Oh no, I, I was agreeing. I said, it's clearly not Nagamimi. The brains. Nagamimi's more of a behind-the-scenes man, whereas Mataichi is front and center, scouting out the sinners for him to exercise. Do you think that he was a moral character, or do you think he was kind of morally ambiguous? They talk about this several times in the show, about whether or not what they're doing is right or wrong. He's very and... much a pulp hero, in that mm. he's sort of a villain for villains. Like, he is a man who strikes fear into those who do wrong. Because they clearly, you know, they he says it himself that they trick people, but because they're usually bad people? They may be portrayed as villains and they may be ominous, but as I said, it's okay if they're meant to be villains for the bad guys. It feels reminiscent, and I cannot confirm this, of a very, very old series called Humanoid Monster Bem, where you had a trio of monsters who were going around punishing those who were cruel to others. And yet the trio, consisting of Bem, Barrow, and Bella, were ostracized for being monsters. Three people reincarnated as yokai. So they were dead the whole time, after all. They were, and I think this is implied by the ending. But the Mataichi trio are the main focus of the show. Momosuke is basically there to be the audience's viewpoint. That's kind of similar to how, uh, technically, Kane Tsunomori is the main character of Psychopaths. Psychopaths is really about her coming into this world of um, the detectives and the criminals, and she's really there uh, for the audience. She asks the questions the audience wants to know. Things get to explain to her, so it gets explained to you, and in that way, Momosuke is the one who's asking all of the questions as well. They're similar in that regard. 
I kind of disagree with that since I feel that Akane is a character in and of herself. She's not just there to be representative of the audience. She has a bona fide character arc in Psychopaths, well, at least in the first season. Oh, definitely. You know, especially at the beginning of Psychopaths, I'd say that's the case. But by the end, you know, she's definitely taking the lead. Whereas Momosuke, he is pretty much the same author as he was in the beginning, as it was in the end. I thought he had a little bit of character development. He has a little, but not too much. Because I mean, yeah, you're not I watching mean, Requiem from the Darkness for any sort of big character development. You're watching it for the atmosphere, the stories, and the blood and gore. Especially the last part, yeah. You do have a Momosuke, like, you know, he's like this morally upstanding guy who has to come face to face with the fact that there are horrible people who do horrible things in the Mataichi group. I mean, they punish these bad people, sure, but what they're doing is still kind And I know that this is, like, all open for interpretation. Like, what they're doing isn't exactly as good. And you have Momosuke butting heads with them on, like, what what is right and what is wrong. And that's the thing that, like goes on throughout the entire show yeah momosuke definitely got to talk about momosuke because he well being the main character uh i don't really understand what his he says you know what his goals are but i understand what his decisions making process is because i actually wrote down in my notes just wtf momosuke moments and you know sometimes he's trying to save people and sometimes he does the exact opposite uh, the bridge was one of those moments where you're like, what are you doing, man? And I just thought that his moral compass was all over the place. There are some people whose lives are not worth saving, and others who are simply just beyond redemption. Quoting from the show, yeah. The premise is interesting about the, like, the whole thing about him trying to write a hundred stories and using all these scary incidents as inspiration for that. That was interesting, but overall I was kind of bored watching this. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I think we've all brought up ghost stories in comparison to this show, and I ain't gonna lie. Like, many times I'm like, I'd rather just be watching that, because at least I'd laugh or something. It's not because you're a rabbit. <laughs> It's just so over the top. It's very early 2000s. Wasn't it about the same time, too? I think Ghost Stories was 2003, 2004. I believe uh, Ghost yeah. Stories was, like, late 90s. I think it came out in 2000. Yeah. Yeah, around that, like, bubble of time. Yeah, that's what I... Rick so, yeah, I got that vibe watching it, and I'm like, man, this is this is not interesting to me at all. It's very much a slow burn sort of show. Every story is very much a slow burn, slowly building and building to the confrontation between the yokai or the sinner of the week and the Mataichi trio. And I think at times people who are expecting, you know, something that's a lot more immediate may be turned off by it. I mentioned Shiki or another, each episode sort of builds upon the story, whereas Requiem from the Darkness is more episodic and standalone in nature, kind of like Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, although, but, like, the thing about episodic shows is that, like, they kind of have to hook you in the first episode or yeah. the second, and if they can't, and you're just like, 
every episode is doesn't link to the last, then it's just like, all right, then. I guess this is it, then. Uh, for me, definitely my favorite episode was actually one of the slower ones. We talked about it a little bit earlier. It's the one with the floating heads with a lot of um, interesting material. Yeah, but, I, I I like that episode too. That was fantastic. Yeah, that like that episode alone, I would go back to watch. I actually skipped that episode when I was rewatching the show because yeah, first time I saw it, it fucked me up back in high school, and like I'm not revisiting that shit. Yeah, episode it's fucked. Episode four, Dancing Head. It's really messed up. That was like for me. I think that really is why this is such a good horror show is because, you know, you have to ask yourself, what is evil? And everything that that character did was evil because there was no reason for it. It was just... It's the right kind of messed up, in my humble opinion. There's a fine line between this and, say, Violence Jack or Elfin Lead. It was definitely the most disturbing episode. Uh, as far as, well, I guess if that was probably my favorite i i do have one thing to say in particular i think it was episode six i have no it was it was about uh not spoilers too much but it was about a guy who was a body double but he was also crazy and a murderer and i couldn't focus on it at all because what, whereas you had episodes like salty choji and the Arazuki beans this one just stuck in my head as tanuki 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 but it was because there was not a single person who could say Tanuki. It's it's not hard. <laughs> Statistically, somebody could have said it the right way, but every single person was the Tanaki, the Tanuki. The, no, they didn't. They tanuki. never said Tanuki. The Tanaki. Yeah, welcome to Tanaki. We got a... Uh, yeah, it's a great state to live in. Uh, oh my god, I could not take that episode. I, I hated it just because they said it so much. Tanaki, Tanaki. That tanaki. brings me back to to the Shimaneta dub. The main character's last name was was Tanuki, but they pronounce it Tanuki. Like, they even bring up, like, there's even, like, a pun where they bring up how his name sounds like the creature and link it to, like, a dirty joke. But they call him Tanuki in the dub, so... And as far as um, other things that just kind of really struck me as weird or off or, like, excuse me, how did this happen? I think it was episode 9, um... The Fire Lance. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, the Fire Lance, it's a bit of a spoiler, but it's a major plot point that doesn't come around until the final three episodes. I didn't have a problem with it, considering that each episode is standalone until the very end. For me, it's weird, because some of these experiences they have are supernatural. A lot of them are just regular things, and it's like, Scooby-Doo, take off the mask. But when it came to the fire lance no spoilers you should definitely watch this for yourself but when they showed what it was i was just like what the hell is that <laughs> i mean it's not really helped by the ps1 level water effects they've got going on i just i was blown away yeah it's that's one hell of a twist xavier unfortunately did not get to the end of it and it's such a shame because i do think it has one hell of a finale it's a, it's a banger. Alright, well, if you guys say it was good, I'll believe you, but man, it's such a, it's such a drag to get there. True. I'd say probably 
it was definitely a show where I enjoyed the latter half much more than the first. There's another character that we haven't talked about that I actually thought was really excellent. Oh, what was it? It was um, the the arsonist. Shiki. Oh, I, I'm blanking on her name as well. Shirigaku. Shirigaku. I, I really, that might have been, you know, because the floating head episode's really rough. I'd say that's probably, if I had to show anybody an episode of this, it would be that. Is there anything oh. else we can add to this? About Shirigaku and Tatsu? Does somebody else have something to say? I was leaving it open. Honestly, I don't really get why they brought her back. I thought that, like, I mean, she seems like the kind of character that I didn't think would be important enough to appear more than once. I thought she'd be, like, a one-and-done deal, but when she appeared um, a little bit later on in the last two episodes, I'm like, okay, but why? See, for me, it was it was kind of the opposite, which, you know, I, I can see where you're coming from, but I was just glad that, you know, there was a character who came back like not a one and done and i thought that they were an interesting character because i'd say they probably fleshed that one out the most and the scene where the um priest is describing the backstory i i thought that was excellent uh, very sad i'd say that's one of the sadder stories i mean as a standalone like as a standalone character she's fine as is but i just unless there's just something i'm missing i just don't see the point in bringing her back which, you know, speaking of the evil roster, Yoga Kute, oh, man. Let's not spoil it too much. Right, you know right. I'm just saying it was like, bring up Cowboy Bebop. In Cowboy Bebop, um, Vicious was that character who moved the plot in the background between the individual episodes and would occasionally show up where they would have a scene of him acting or influencing the story as a whole. And they did not do that with this show. They had the opportunity, but they didn't. Uh, no, I was going to say, it's uh, in Requiem from the Darkness, it's similar to how they handled Vicious in Cowboy Bebop, but just not as well. It is, of course, not perfect, but compared to other so-called horror anime, and I am talking about pure horror, not action horror, or horror comedy, I think I can forgive Requiem from the Darkness for a few things. But I also admit it has its faults. Momosuke is not a good main character. I am sorry. He's just, like, the plot just kind of happens around him, and we experience it through him. He's very much a passive protagonist. But, I like, he's supposed to be the writer, so I guess it makes sense that he's just experiencing all this horror around him and not really doing much about it. Whenever he does do something, it kind of makes things worse but um i don't know he's a they had that episode salty choji about him that was really focused on him and i thought they were going to go very dracula in that episode but they ended up choosing a different direction um, so overall there's also one where we learn that momosuke has a brother as well that was a good one yeah we were, he was actually adopted into a military family it was kind of interesting how they used the letter as a uh, a mechanism to move the plot forward in that regard, but I, I was trying to remember what exactly... It, it felt like it didn't move the story forward very much for me, but I, I don't know. Do we have anything else that we can say? I feel like we've covered 
like everything that we can. I mean, anything else, well, would be a spoiler. Yeah. I guess we should get into our final thoughts on it. Uh, who wants to go first? Overall, I think Requiem from the Darkness is a fine show. At its absolute best, it does horror very well. And you get some really weird and really trippy imagery and some really, for the most part, really decent commentary on good and evil. But other times, though, it feels a little bit, um, I don't know how I can put this exactly. Like, it's just, all I could say is it's just a fine show. By no means it's terrible. In fact, I actually do recommend giving this a try if you can. For a horror show, it does what it needs to do. But it's, I mean, it's not, very, but nothing beyond that. Like, uh, I think I've been spoiled to the point where I'm very much a seasonal anime person. If it ain't interest me in, like, the first three episodes, then get it out of here. Like, it, it tried. It, it tried its best, and I'll give it, like, a B for effort. I would say, I don't know if you guys, I watched the previous episode I think there was a little bit of a would you recommend it? And I would say yes, I, I definitely would recommend this. Um, it has some clunky voice acting, but I enjoyed some of that clunkiness. I thought that it was excellently drawn. The editing was questionable at times, as well as the story and delivery. But I thought that some of the stories were actually genuinely creepy. And, you know, it. I made me look up a couple of other things by the people who wrote it, and I'm, I'm going to add them to my list as well, because, yeah, that was, you know, it's it's not a masterpiece, but it's got moments that it really, I enjoyed so So I would say goofy character about to run off of a cliff meets extremely creepy stories. Uh, good show. My personal thoughts are this. Requiem from the Darkness is not a perfect show. At times, it can get a little clunky, and its slower pace may turn off those who want something immediate. But to me, there's a lot to like about Requiem from the Darkness. Excellent artwork and atmosphere, some genuinely scary and disturbing stories, a fantastic finale, pretty decent voice acting on both sides of the coin, although I will admit the English script can be a bit jank at points, but overall... This is a forgotten gem of the 2000s, and as that decade starts slipping further and further away from the public consciousness, it's one of the reasons why I kind of made this show, to spotlight the stuff that's been forgotten. Now, I talked last episode about how I felt Haunted Junction, while a decent series has been understandably forgotten as it kind of failed to stand out, but I think Requiem from the Darkness deserves to be a lot better known. And the best part is that not only, not only is it available on DVD, courtesy of the good people at Discotech Media, but it is also streaming online, legally, for free. You can find it online on Tubi TV and on Retro Crush, although, fair warning, it is dub only, so if you're not a dub fan or the dub's not to your liking, you're gonna have to purchase the DVD. Also, again, it's only 480p on YouTube, so uh, good, good luck with that, anybody. Just another thing to note, TMS Entertainment has an official YouTube channel, that, and they've uploaded a bunch of their shows. Well, okay, maybe not all their 
not all of them, of course not, but they've uploaded several episodes of their shows, including all of Requiem from the Darkness. So by all means, like, go ahead and watch it. You don't have really an excuse to download this. You can watch it for free. Don't copy that floppy. Yeah, I'd say uh, it's it's actually kind of fun uh, finding uh, these older anime that you hadn't heard of. And uh, I could hardly tell you what's airing right now, but I'm glad that I watched that. And I'm glad that I got to revisit this show as well. There are parts of it that I don't think hold up well, not in sort of a, uh-oh, that didn't age well kind of deal, but just that some flaws the show had became a little more apparent on rewatch, but I still think it's a pretty good show. And, hey, three out of the four of us recommending it and all that bad. So that's going to do it for this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a like, subscribe to us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you get your podcasts from. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Otaku Nate Show. We also have a Facebook page, and you can follow me on Instagram at NateTendoWee. Next time on the Otaku Nate Show, water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. As we take a look at yet another forgotten show from the 2000s that was also released by Genion in what I call the bubble period for anime. As we take a look at the bodacious babes and their absolutely ridiculously skimpy outfits of Daphne in the Brilliant Blue. So until then, this is Otaku Nate. I be William, and I be bye. Xavier Gordon. No, no, and uh, it's nice to meet you. And we're signing off and saying, to the next world, we commit thee.